All right, uh, last week we started a series in the book of John. There's actually several books of John's, four in the Bible. Uh, this is the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John towards the end of the New Testament. John is written by the apostle, the disciple John, who followed not John the Baptist, who we're actually going to read about today in John. So if we're not confusing you with all of the Johns, hopefully we can help sort it out here. Um, we're, we're in this series leading up to Easter. John writes uh, very creatively and very specifically as he tells the story of Jesus, his gospel, the account of Jesus and his sacrifice in our lives. And uh, we're not necessarily going straight through the book of John, although that would be fun as well. But uh, just leading up to Easter, we're going to look at some of the characters and some of the interactions that Jesus has with these people in scripture. Because the truth is, as Jesus interacted with people 2,000 years ago in scripture, God is still interacting in our lives now. So there's something that we can all take from this as we look at John and he establishes, last week we looked about him establishing the true character of Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. And that's foundational to understanding the gospel. Today we're going to share communion, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. If Jesus was not fully God and fully man, then this doesn't count. This doesn't take your place. This doesn't remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus that has paid the price for our sins. But Jesus has done that as the, the sinless lamb. Today, now that we've looked at the character of who Jesus is, we're going to begin his interaction with people, specifically those who follow him, who we know as the disciples. This is important because you and I are invited to be disciples as well. As we look at scripture in the gospel, we're specifically talking about the 12 that follow Jesus. And that's where we're going to begin today. And honestly, we could spend months just on their relationship. But uh, today we're just going to take a few thumbnail interactions that Jesus had with this group of followers right here and ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a disciple? So back to John chapter one, we'll begin in verse 35, and I'm going to read you a long section here, uh, and you're welcome to read along, but I, I would love for you even just to picture this. This is the first interaction that John records with the disciples, beginning in verse 35. The following day, John, this is John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon and they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained there the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard John said, who heard what John said and followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found 
the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about, and his name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached Jesus, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know that about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Then Jesus asked him, do you believe this because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see even greater things than this. So here's this interaction. There's a whole lot to unpack there. They recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the one who is coming to deliver the people of Israel that they've been waiting on for hundreds of years. They have this interaction where he's saying, come follow me, and they leave and go follow him. All of these are huge steps of faith for these men to take. We have the privilege of looking back at the gospels in retrospect. These may be stories that we've heard all of our lives and may be new to us, but we're able to look back and say, okay, Jesus came to these guys. He said, come follow me. And they went and followed him. But it's important to understand some of this context here. They call Jesus rabbi. Rabbi is a Jewish teacher of the Mosaic law, not just any teacher, but it would be a profound teacher of high respect and regard. Each of, each of the rabbis, there were many rabbis in this Jewish culture, they would teach, they would study and study and study the, the law and the scriptures, and they would teach from their perspective and understanding, and not much different than today, somebody, if you can imagine, going to a place where they teach about God. As the rabbis would gather and teach they would teach from their perspective and their experience. Some might tend to be more liberal than others and others were more conservative. And so each rabbi kind of had their own flavor to some degree. And what would happen is these rabbis would seek the best of the best to come and be their interns, to be their, their understudies, to be their disciples. In this culture, Jewish boys, only the boys in that culture, would go to uh, basically a Jewish school where they would learn intensely. They would memorize books upon books in the Old Testament. They would study what it meant, generally from about the ages to from 5 to 16 or so. Jewish boys would just learn 
the Mosaic law, all the intricacies of it. These rabbis would go to these schools, and as they went to these schools in this intense learning, they would make note of the best of the best students. And the rabbis, upon their completing school, would go to the elite, and they would say, come, follow me. Well, we just heard Jesus saying in that scripture, this would have been the, the invitation that they had all hoped for. Like an athlete that trains all of their lives and hopes to hear their name called on draft day. These Jewish students, as a rabbi would show up, scan the crowd, say that one, come follow me. In doing so, this young man would then often leave his hometown, leave his family business. In that culture, you did whatever your father did as a young man. You would carry on the family business unless a rabbi called you to come follow him. Then you would leave that family business and you would go follow the rabbi. And your goal was to be as much like that rabbi as possible. Another phrase that Jesus uses Take my yoke upon you. This is a rabbinical term that would have been extended for a rabbi to say, take my yoke upon you. A yoke would have been put around an oxen's neck to lead the oxen. To say, take my yoke upon you means take my leadership and follow me in the way that I go. So when Jesus says, side note, Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. My yoke is easy. There is grace and mercy when you follow me. For a rabbi to say this to a disciple, take my yoke upon you, come follow me, means to walk the way I walk, teach the way I teach, do as I do. And these rabbis had disciples that would follow them. A common blessing that would be spoken over these young men by their family or by the school as they were selected, drafted to go follow these rabbis would be, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now, I grew up in West Texas on a ranch where we had dirt roads. And uh, when I first started dating Tiffany, she wondered why I never cleaned my truck. Uh, And it was because there was no point. Because the day you clean it, the next day it's going to be dirty again because it's covered in dust. And that's kind of the the picture here when they say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. As they walk down these dirt paths, the disciple follows the rabbi so closely that they are covered by the dust of the rabbi's sandal. Then there were all the other Jewish students that didn't get selected. Right? There were a few, just I use the sports analogy, draft day, only a fraction, small, tiny fraction of athletes who work so hard will ever be selected to be able to play at a pro level. Right? It was the same in this rabbinical situation here. Only a fraction were selected. The rest of you, you all go home to your family business. You're going to be a carpenter, you're going to be a fisherman, you're going to have some sort of trade that you do, 
and you continue to live out the best Jewish life that you can based on all that you learned in school, but you go back to the family business. That leads us to where we are here in John chapter 1. Jesus is going to interact with these men. We see two of them were John's disciples, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was one of those uh, rabbis who was a little bit edgy and out there. A lot of people disregarded him, but he had his own disciples. And two of these disciples leave John to go follow Jesus. And the rest of these disciples, they didn't make the cut. They weren't selected. They weren't chosen. Peter, James, John, they went back to be fishermen. That was the family business. Matthew was a tax collector, not the family business because he sold his family out to betray his own people to become a tax collector. That's why they were so despised. But these were all men who didn't make the cut, who in some way were spiritually challenged. This is who Jesus calls. This is who Jesus looks in the eye and says, come follow me. Take my yoke upon you. Tiffany and I were watching a cooking show the other day where they were picking, they were drafting people to be on different teams and, uh, you know, entertaining to watch. But then it got a little awkward as it got down to like the last three and the last two. And you just feel bad for that last one. You know, you're the one that nobody else wanted to pick, but you're the only one left. Maybe there have been times in your life where you have felt like that. When it comes to your walk with God or just your, your own social standing, maybe you feel like in some way you just don't quite make the cut. Maybe sometimes you come in this room and you feel like a fake. You've got imposter syndrome that you would rather crawl in a hole than have me ask you to come up on stage and lead us in the closing song as we leave today right? Oh no, I just could not do that. Well, I couldn't do that either. But the truth is many times we just feel like ah, I'm not quite good enough. If you've ever felt like you don't quite make the cut, you're in good company here at Rock Hills. And as a disciple, we know that Jesus was never about looking for the best of the best. The best were welcome to come and follow him. But he was about looking for ordinary people who had a heart for God. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors, ordinary men and women. So when you think of the disciples, that's who we're talking about. They were part of something amazing as they walked with Jesus, as he was their rabbi, as they followed him. And then after Jesus is crucified and raised to heaven, these are the people who turned the world upside down because of what they did after Jesus was raised into heaven. They established the church and here we are, San Antonio 2024. We're having church because of what happened then. Disciples that were following Jesus, ordinary people. Following Jesus is never about your ability. It's about your availability to be who he wants you to be. So understanding that context of 
what it looked like to be a disciple in the first century. We're going to look at a few thumbnails through the book of John of Jesus's interaction with these disciples. What kind of interaction they have and what does it mean to us today? First one that comes up in we're going to note is uh, the feeding of the 5,000. It's found in John chapter 6. Many of you are familiar with this story, but Jesus had been teaching that day. Thousands of people have now heard about Jesus. They're following Jesus. They want to hear, and they make their way around this huge body of water, and there's all these people. Jesus is teaching them And then Jesus turns to his disciples and gives them a trick question. Where can we buy food to feed all of these people? Now, Philip was a logical disciple in the bunch. He begins to say, according to my calculations, um, we would never be able to feed all of these people. Even if we worked and worked and worked for months, we could not afford to feed all of these people, much less how, how do we acquire the food to feed all of these people? 5,000 men is what's recorded, which very likely means there was another 5,000 women, children. I mean, there was anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people in this crowd. And the Bible notes there's one young man who brought a sack lunch. Jesus takes the small resources, as you know, and multiplies it to feed everyone. This is one of the first encounters that the disciples have as they follow Jesus, where they see, oh, we are involved in something unbelievable because we just faced the impossible It was an impossible problem in their hands, right? You type type A people would have been absolutely frustrated with Jesus. Of course, we can't feed all of these people. Shouldn't we have had a planning meeting a month ago? Shouldn't we have some structure on how to do this? There's no plan in place. Jesus says, how do we feed these people? There's no answer that makes sense It's a ridiculous question for Jesus to ask them, but you know what happened next. Jesus feeds all of the people. As disciples of Jesus, we will face impossible problems in our lives. Jesus multiplies the food, and afterwards, Scripture knows that he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not huge, but it's not a pond or a tiny lake either. It's a decent sized body of water. Jesus decides to get away on his own. He goes around the lake. The disciples get in a boat. He tells them, I'm gonna meet you on the other side. They begin to go to the other side. Remember, some of the disciples are professional fishermen. They've done it all of their lives. They know how to work a boat. They know how to recognize a storm on the horizon, but yet they get out in the middle of this sea, and that is exactly what they face. They would have seen a storm many times, endured it, but this storm must have been something special 
because it notes even these people who made a living on the water were terrified and feared for their lives. They thought in that moment, we are about to die. And then comes Jesus. I wonder sometimes if Jesus, you know, had a little bit of a sense of humor and he was just like, ooh, I got a good idea. Watch this. Because Jesus comes walking across the water in the midst of the storm. They're already terrified. Here's their next interaction as disciples. They're fearing for their lives. And then they see somebody walking on the water. Their terror is multiplied. I can't imagine what that would be like, but here's Jesus' response to them as he walks on the water, John 6, 20. But he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. There's a ton in those those words right there. Don't be afraid, I am here. As a disciple, we will face things that are terrifying. And the only peace we have is knowing Jesus is here with us. Which leads us to our next encounter. Many of these encounters are just Jesus and the disciples. Sometimes there's extra people around and listening. This happens to be one of those as other people listen. This is the bread of life discussion. John 6, 53 through 58. In this discussion now, Jesus makes some statements that are wild. It's kind of like when he, in the Sermon on the Mount, you may remember Jesus said things like, if your right hand's of hand offends you, what should you do? Anybody? Cut it off. If your eye offends you, what should you do? Pluck it out. Pluck it out. I mean, that's that's serious stuff, right? I mean, whoa, whoa, Jesus. Are you talking literal or is this kind of a hypothetical thing or what that Jesus is telling these people? This is, that would be shocking. This is probably even more shocking as Jesus makes this statement in verse 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat of my flesh, the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise that person on the last day. Now, how many of you in that situation would add a little bit of pause and said, wait a minute, that's, that's kind of a red flag right there, right? I mean, that's, that's a little bit out there. This was shocking to them. This was not a normal context of a visual illustration that would have been communicated in their lives. This would have been the first time they've heard something like this, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Sounds like something off the Discovery Channel, right? It was bold, so bold that scripture notes that many of them at this point say, I'm out of here. I was curious, I was following, I was listening, but that's too weird. I am out of here. Maybe you felt like that at a church service before. This is where Jesus turns to his disciples. John chapter 6, 66 through 69. It says this, at this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. 
Then Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked, are you also going to leave? He essentially says, there's the door. Do you want to go too? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Big picture here is following Jesus is not easy and sometimes we don't understand everything. Again, we have the advantage of retrospect because of this table up here. As we celebrate communion, we're able to understand what Jesus meant in this moment. Next interaction. Jesus washes the disciples' feet in John chapter 13, four through five. This again was another very shocking and creative way to communicate. This is at the Last Supper. Jesus knows he's about to be arrested and face the cross. He knows it's coming. And they gather together to share a Passover meal, something that was very sacred to them. And Jesus does the unthinkable in the midst of this sacred dinner. He gets up, takes off his robe, grabs a towel, and begins to wash their feet. Now, this was something that was common in that culture that we don't do today, and I'm sure most of you are thankful for that because it would be awkward. But in that day, it was common because they walked on those dirt paths all the time, remember? But it was not common for the head of the dinner. It would have been the lowest servant in Jewish culture that would have been there to do the lowest task. And Jesus puts himself in the lowest position. And they refuse. No, 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 don't do that. You sit down. Let me do that, Jesus. Jesus says, no, this is the path to blessing. I want you to do as I do. You make yourself low to serve others. This is the way to blessing. This is the path to blessing. There are no celebrities in the kingdom of God. This is a powerful encounter that the disciples have with Jesus. The next encounter, I'm going to mash several together here, are these encouraging words because Jesus in the midst of that last encounter tells them, hey, I'm about to die. And then he washes their feet. Can you imagine leaving everything to follow Jesus and, oh, by the way, I'm about to die. What are you going to do then? Following chapter 13, going through chapter 14 through 16, Jesus gives them all of these encouraging words to help build them up. John 14, one through three. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Remember, they know Jesus is about to be crucified. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room for you in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare you a place? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you may always be with me where I am. He encourages them. Don't be discouraged in God's plan, trusting in God's plan, even when you don't see the whole picture. John 14, 12 through 14. He says, I tell you the truth. 
Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask me anything in my name and I will do it so the Son of Man can bring glory to his Father. Yes, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus tells the disciples something astounding here. You've seen me do all of these things through all of you. God is going to do even more. If you are a disciple, God wants to do even more through you than the things that we see Jesus doing up to this point. John 16, 16, 17. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples ask each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me and I'm going to the Father. Jesus is telling them, this is bigger than what you understand. I'm going to make a way and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't just apply to the 12. That applies to you, to me. John 15, verse five, Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is reminding them, if you are a disciple, remain connected, growing in me. Let your life be from me and just watch what God will do in your life. The next encounter, Jesus gives them a warning in John chapter 16, verses one through four. It says, I've told you all of these things so that you won't abandon your faith. This was a lot for anybody to take in, right? And then he even gives them another bombshell and he says, you two are going to die because of all of this but don't abandon your faith. You'll be expelled, you'll be rejected, you will be killed, but remember my warning. Don't abandon your faith. For any of us, I'm not saying we're going to be killed or expelled, but there is a price to pay. If you and I are serious about following Jesus, it will come at a cost in one way, or another, and Jesus' warning to them is the same to us. Don't abandon your faith. Keep going, even when it's hard. The last encounter, the grand finale, the resurrection. John 20, 19 through 21. And I love this picture. After Jesus is resurrected, the disciples are in the upper room. And now they're probably remembering those words, right? You're going to be killed for your faith. They're hiding in fear in a secret room where they're locked away, the door locked, and Jesus himself walks through the wall and stands there among them, just like in the boat when they were terrified upon terrified. I'm sure they were in this moment. Again, they're already terrified for their lives. They're terrified because the man they saw crucified is now standing in front of them, and he says the same thing, peace be with you. I am with you. And he shows them the wounds in his hands and his side. It says they were filled when they, with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
here it is. So I am sending you. As a disciple, we follow Jesus, and then he sends us to go and do what he has done. He reminds them of what they are called to do. There's all kinds of encounters with Jesus the disciples have in the Gospels and even in John. But let me summarize these here real quick. Feeding of the 5,000. There is no challenge that you will face that is impossible for God. Walking on water. There is no challenge that you will face alone. God is with you. The bread of life discussion. Following Jesus is never going to be easy. Washing the disciples' feet. The path to blessing is humility. Encouraging words of Jesus when life gets tough, remember his promises. The warning of Jesus, don't walk away when life gets tough. And in Jesus' resurrection, we're reminded through the resurrection There is peace and hope and purpose. We're going to close this service. Josh is going to lead us in a song, and we're going to share the Lord's table together and take communion as disciples. Because the truth is, you and I have been invited to follow Jesus. So I think the real question here is, are you a disciple or are you just an acquaintance of Jesus? Are you just an observer curiously watching from the outside? Jesus' invitation is, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My burden is light. Come, follow me. He invites the ordinary and the rejected to come and be his. His yoke, his burden has been paid for. His blood has been shed, his body has been broken, and he has been raised from the dead so that you and I could follow him on the tough days and on the easy days that you and I might be covered in the dust of our rabbi. I want us to take a moment as Josh leads us in a song, search our hearts. Are we followers of Christ? Are we disciples? Are we acquaintances and observers? Let's take a moment to talk to God, to repent where we need to repent to rely on him where we need to rely on him, to give him that space to be the Lord, to be the rabbi in our lives. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that has come to set us free because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. We hear your invitation today. Come, follow me. Lord, forgive me. Make me whole. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would take a moment, search your heart. And in just a moment, from the back of the room to the front, you can make your way up, grab the elements, and we will take them together.
in just a minute. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus, bathe it all, all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain, he washed you white as snow. they were eating, it says in the gospel, and by they, means the people that didn't make the cut, but yet Jesus said, come and follow me. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, take and eat. Here's the answer to that earlier discussion. This is my body. Let's take the bread of life together.
Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take the cup together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the sacrifice of Jesus, that we could be yours, your followers, your sons, your daughters. Lord, may we follow closely this week. In Jesus' name, amen.